Well, thank you for being here this morning. I thought I should let you know that uh, my notes today uh, were finalized and prepared at 39,000 feet as we were traveling 896 miles an hour in the air uh, and the air temperature outside according to the little screen in front of me said it was 54 degrees below zero at that elevation so uh, there you go that's right yeah it was a, it was a great flight uh, so thank you again for your prayers for us everything went well um, so um, as we continue in our series, and I have this message this uh, today, this Sunday, uh, and next on this uh, subject of suffering, um, one of the things that you've probably realized uh, by your own experience and observing it in other, others is this, that as we face uh, times of suffering in this earthly life, uh, Ultimately, it will do two uh, things, two main things that can happen as a result. Uh, one of which is positive, and that's God's goal for us, is that it drives me to God. Um, or suffering can have an opposite effect, that it drives me away from God. When it drives me to God, it drives me to Him in humility uh, for His help. But when suffering becomes such that it drives me away from God, the end result, in many cases, is doubt and despair. So uh, as you take an inventory of your own life and review your life, uh, and the times of suffering maybe that you have gone through, what has been your response? Well, last week we considered God's purpose uh, in suffering. And I ended that message with an exhortation and didn't really develop it a whole lot, but uh, the exhortation that each of us uh, come to the place where we're cultivating the habit uh, of building your relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to learn to lean on Jesus, we have to have a habit of cultivating your relationship with Jesus Christ. You might ask yourself the question though, how is that accomplished? How is that done? Well, let me suggest to you that primarily our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is, is cultivated and developed and grows through the two very simple uh, twin disciplines of both prayer and the Word of God. When we pray, we worship God. We communicate with Him what is on our hearts, the things that uh, are both our uh, concerns, uh, our petitions, but also our joys. Um, but then also, uh, not only is prayer important for our walk with God, but we need His Word. Because if prayer is our communication with God, communicating to Him what is on my heart, the Word of God, as I read it, as I study it, as I meditate upon it, as I muse on it, God speaks to me. 
If you're waiting to hear a voice from heaven to give you direction or a dream that will direct you, I think you should probably lay those expectations aside and open the Word of God because God speaks through His Word. And so when you come to the Word, God's Word is teaching me how I am to respond, how I am to live, the, the actions that I am to take. And you certainly know this. Uh, the Word of God reveals Himself. God's holy and perfect character uh, and His will. So when I come to God in prayer and when I spend time together with Him in His Word, both of these will require of me a response of faith and trust in God. I mean, because if I come to God in prayer and I don't expect Him to, to answer in faith, why pray? Or if I come to His Word and want to know Him and don't believe actually that He speaks through His Word, I'm not going to respond in faith to what I may read on the pages of His Word. I find it interesting that Jesus himself uh, said uh, this uh, important truth and reality to his followers in Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29 about the importance uh, of not only knowing his word but responding to it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, 7 and verse 24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, here at the conclusion of this, what we have termed the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this uh, final principle of not only knowing what he said or having heard what he said, but acting upon his teaching in faith. And he says the one who hears his word and puts it into practice, which means taking it to heart, believing it, obeying it, seeking to put it into practice in life, is like a wise man. <laughs> The book of Proverbs is all about the contrast of the wise and the foolish. Uh, you read the book of Proverbs in light of our present world and uh, so many of the things that you read in Proverbs are common sense, if you would. But even that seems to have fallen on hard times in our present world, has it not? But Jesus says, taking his word to heart, believing what he has said, and then acting accordingly, allowing your word to line up with what God has said, is like the wise man, the wise person who builds his house on a rock, a solid foundation. And Christ himself is that sure foundation, that solid rock. And notice that storms will come. Times of trial will come. Suffering will come. And he, he uses the imagery of a storm blowing against that house. But it's going to remain. It's going to stand. It's going to be firm. Why? Because it's founded on the rock. Verse 25b. And let me suggest to you that the more that you and I know Jesus, the better prepared that we will be 
when the storms of life come against us. It's kind of interesting that sometimes even the, the suffering that we experience actually make you realize this, that I need him, that I need to know him more. And suffering drives you to, to prayer and to the Word of God because you need His help. But Jesus says here, by way of contrast, the one who hears His words but doesn't act on them is foolish. The person who builds his house on sand, uh, uh, something that can shift very easily. And this, the storms come, there's no foundation there that a person's life is built upon, neither the Word of God nor a personal relationship with Christ through faith, and what the result of the storms of life can be and ultimately become is there's a collapse, there's a crash. Is this you? Even as a believer in Jesus Christ? Having a time of difficulty and trial and suffering does not mean that you or I as Christ followers cannot have a crisis of faith that can try our confidence in God and in his word. I know of missionaries, I won't name them for the sake of who they are and, and also where they served, but... They were in a very difficult situation. And it was really hard. And I remember the senior pastor and I having a conversation that the, uh, in this time of trying, the one uh, man took his Bible and just kind of pushed it aside and said, this just can't be true. Now, by God's mercy and grace, he finally came around. Eventually came back to Christ and faith in him. But that time of difficulty, that time of trial, that time of, of, of intensity caused him to really question even his confidence in God and in his word. But yet, because he had that relationship with Christ, which by the way, God is the one who initiated that, there was a solid foundation that kept him sure even in that crisis of faith. And if you and I are facing suffering, whether we're presently in it or maybe we might in fact face it in days to come, suffering should drive me, should drive you to, to lean hard on Jesus. So, so we need, if that's the case, we need to cultivate our relationship with him now, today. Uh, I put this little quote down. You can't waste the season when things are well, only to cram for the test of your faith the night before. You ever do that in high school, in college? You know, you have the big test coming up, but you keep putting off studying, and you just keep thinking, well, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then, lo and behold, the test comes. 
For us, it was always 8 o'clock in the morning for theology. <laughs> and if you didn't study, if you weren't prepared, you looked at that paper and it was like, God help me. <laughs> but you see, God wants us to cultivate our relationship with Christ now, today. Maybe that's part of the exhortation of, of the, the scripture when it says, Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, if you're desirous to know God better and to open his word or even to become more consistent with the reading of his word or spending time with him in prayer, don't wait until, well, I want to have more time when I, when, I, when I get around to it or I'll do it tomorrow. Start now, right now, cultivating your relationship with Christ. One of the uh, forums that we had available to us this week was... Um, entitled, When the Church Goes Off the Grid, Preparing the Underground Church. And it's interesting because the, the presenter in that was giving us a history of how the church many times, in times of intense suffering and persecution, has been forced to go underground. And he, he exhorted us as, as pastors, as leaders, as people within the church who, who uh, should be thinking about these things to not wait he mentioned the fact that uh, even our most recent experience as a nation and world of COVID kind of took us by surprise. We were unprepared and we kind of had to scramble to sort of keep things together as go even God's people. We need to prepare. And we can't wait until a, a future day to say, I'll get to it when I get to it. Now, God is calling you and He's calling me to, to know Him to desire Him, to seek after Him, to worship Him, to serve Him, to obey Him. Now, cultivate your relationship with Jesus Christ. So learning to lean on Jesus will require that. But learning to learn, lean on Jesus also requires that we yield to God and the lessons that He has for us. Now here's our, our main text for this morning out of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And here in verses 8 through 11, uh, Paul uh, brings in his own personal experience updating the Corinthian believers about what he uh, was going through along with his co-workers. Look with me at verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. As I said, Paul is informing the believers here of the suffering that he and his co-workers endured and how they had come through it. He mentions here in these verses that it happened in Asia. There was great pressure. There was hardship. Did you notice that? Plural. There was suffering far beyond our ability to endure. How bad was it? Paul describes it as a sentence of death. If we put it in sort of a modern phrase, it's the phrase, we're going to die. 
We're going to die. You have to ask yourself the question, though, in the historical context of Scripture, when did this happen? Um, my reference Bible and other commentators uh, suggest that really Paul's referring back to Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 41, which was the riot at Ephesus. Do you remember that context? Where Paul was called to account because the... Uh, the idol-making business was, was in jeopardy because he was out there preaching that there, there is no God other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And people were responding to the gospel and they, were, they stopped buying their idols. And so the, the idol-makers were troubled by that. And they said, these guys are you know, making trouble for us. You know, they're, they're saying that there are no man-made gods other than the God who created all things. You know, and so they riot, you know, and they shout for two hours straight, great is Diana, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. <laughs> Do you think that shouting matches is just something that's common or, 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 or um, uh, contemporary to us? No, it goes back. It's human nature. <laughs> You know, and so uh, Paul wanted to address the crowd and, and, and you know, it, it was turmoil, it was chaos. And Paul says that's part of the context out of which we thought we're going to die here. This is the end. That's interesting that that happened in 54 AD. Keep that in mind. Because 2 Corinthians was written approximately between 55 A.D. and 57 A.D., a span of possibly three years. So this is after the fact of this. But before we go a little bit further into what Paul says after that, have you ever felt or do you feel uh, like Paul did at this point uh, in his suffering? That you're going to die? That this is more than I can endure. Notice that, that at the second half of, uh, uh, continue reading with me, verse 9. Indeed, in our hearts we felt we had this sentence of death. But notice this. But this happened. Just, just, just stop there for a moment. This happened. Not by chance. Not by happenstance. Not by something external that, that is just sort of this nebulous fate. This happened by the sovereign hand of God. This happened. And, and Paul says here, this happened that we might. Paul realizes that what he was experiencing in these hardships, in this suffering, in this sentence of death, had a purpose in it. A divine purpose. I remember after my first pastorate, uh, I returned back to our hometown and got a job in a grocery store full time. And struggled with that because I wasn't pastoring any longer. And the company I worked for, a great company, great store. You can make a career out of it and be totally satisfied, but I was not. 
I was miserable. In fact, I remember one time when they were taking pictures of us in our different departments and you, it, because we got some kind of award for whatever, making the most money for the store out of our department, I had to stand in front of the pineapples. I was Pastor Pineapple, by the way, to our friends. And I remember standing there and I remember looking at the picture and I, I thought, that's a bad picture. I look miserable. But I remember, you know, struggling with the decision to leave the pastorate and go back just into a job. And I was unhappy. And I remember uh, Marnie's uh, cousins, uh, Rick, he's a believer. And, he, and we would visit with them on occasion. And he says, I'm praying for you. And he, said, he says, I have a sense that the Lord wanted me t to let you know that there's a purpose in it. There's a purpose in it. A purpose in why I was working at this store and not pastoring a church. Well, lo and behold, to, to, to just bring you up to fast forward today, I'm in the Alliance today because I took that side road, you know, at this grocery store. There's a purpose in it. And Paul says here, we had this happen that we might uh, might learn this lesson I might add uh, and, and, and if, if we're going to learn the lessons God has for us that means that we have to be open to be taught uh, uh, some people in the midst as I said in, in, of suffering will shut down and will become angry with God and even abandon him but you see Paul yielded to God's training in suffering. And see, that's what he desires from every one of us, that we yield to him uh, in our suffering. And Paul says here, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. Part of the, the, the purpose that God had for Paul and, and many times for you and me in the things that we struggle with is so that we learn not to rely upon ourselves. See, there are many things that are beyond man's ability to fix and to make right. There are many times that, that circumstances are certainly beyond our control. And, and we, we, in the midst of, of circumstances, and even in the pains that we endure, sometimes can only manage them but certainly not fix them or remedy them. And, and, and sometimes God will bring me, He will bring you, He brought Paul, He brought other saints to a place of the end of themselves so that they realize and they cry out, there's nothing I can do. See, because humanity, individually and collectively, is weak and frail at best. So God brings us to the end of ourselves. And Paul continues on in this statement by saying, but that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. See, here uh, is the, the, the what question is answered in suffering. What is God doing? What is He trying to teach me? What is God up to? What is His goal in this death sentence type suffering? 
part of God's ultimate purpose is that I, that you, that we, that believers might rely upon God. The New American Standard translates this phrase that we would not trust ourselves, but trust in God. That word trust or rely is the word pytho. Think of a python, <laughs> snake. And, and it's interesting because the, the word is used uh, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 22 where Jesus talks about the strong man who comes and pillages the house and the man's armor on which he had relied, trusted, is taken away and therefore the house can be pillaged. And Paul says here that this happened to us that we might not rely upon, that we might not trust in ourselves, but in God. Let me ask you, whom are you trusting with your life and in the midst of the suffering that you are experiencing? Here's an even deeper question that I have to ask myself. Can it be that God is using suffering as a means of breaking me of my stubborn independence of Him To get me to a place where I'm not dependent upon myself, my own wisdom, my own ingenuity, my own plans, my own abilities, my own strength. To say you have none of that apart from me. In fact, the only thing you really have is me. And Paul says, we suffered in this way that we might not trust in ourselves, but trust in God and thus rely wholeheartedly on God. It's the perspective that's found all the way back in Psalm 62. Turn back to Psalm 62 for, for a moment with me. Psalm 62, and look at verse 5. And notice what the psalmist says. The whole psalm is really uh, along these lines. Find rest O oh, my soul, in God alone, my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend upon God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. Do you see that? The psalmist is saying, God is my source, my hope, my help. And there are times when you and I endure suffering, very possibly because of choices we've made, Sometimes because we're followers of Jesus Christ and sometimes because we live in a fallen world and suffering comes to all of us. But God is not impotent in the midst of that. God is not indifferent in the midst of that. God is not, not having, a, not, God always has a purpose in that. And it's that you and I might not rely upon ourselves but on God. 
But Paul didn't just stop there. Did you notice the, the qualifier there that he uses? But that we might rely on God, that we might trust in God who raises the dead. See, the, the, the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bible, is the God who raises the dead. And He raised the Lord Jesus Christ on the third day after His suffering and death for our sins on the cross. And what is the one universal that humanity has never been able to reverse? Death. Yeah, taxes, yeah. Death! And, and look at how many things pop up on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. Oh, just buy this and you'll live longer. Oh, really? You'll be able to remedy everything that's wrong with you. If I did everything that I see come up on my phone, I would be a basket case. Trying to keep track, do I eat eggs this week or I don't? And then you get the guy that's, that's, that's strong and ripped in every way. And he comes on and says, it's not a matter of exercise. Really? Look at me, it's not a matter of exercise. <laughs> See, but, but Paul says here to you and me, that I might rely upon God who raises the dead. Look at Romans chapter 8 with me for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And look at, at verse 10 with me. Romans 8 and verse 10. Paul says here, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now look at verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Did you catch that? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. The interesting thing about that phrase is we can, we can understand that in two ways. And it's interesting, the, the scholars are, are, are divided equally as to does that mean looking forward to an ultimate day of resurrection and completion and glorification? Or is Paul referring to the here and now? And I would suggest to you it's both. We can trust in a God who raises the dead in the midst of our sufferings to be our help in present trouble. And notice where he says in verse 34 of this same chapter, who is it that condemns Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, he didn't just die. He was raised and he's now glorified and interceding for you and for me. And when we suffer, he has not stopped that practice of intercession. So much so that Paul could say, 
What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that? And that is the God whom you and I serve and know through Jesus Christ that He's the God who raises the dead and He is with you in the midst of your darkest hours and in the, in the midst of your, your deepest sufferings. He's with you. And it's grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, that is the whole basis of our salvation is the suffering of Christ on the cross for us who are sinners. And He died in our place and in our stead as our substitute and as a sacrifice. So that God looking on him on my behalf can say, those sins are paid for by my son. You are now forgiven and accepted in the beloved. But Christ not only died, he arose. And Christ not only died and he arose and he has ascended. But Christ who died and arose and ascended is coming again. <laughs> He's coming again. And there are times when God uses suffering as a means of weaning us off of self-reliance and our own weakness. God works to ignite a faith in us which trusts in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And in that, He not only gives us eternal salvation of our souls, He's with us in the midst of our suffering. He does not abandon us in our suffering, but is working out all things after the counsel of His will for our good and for His glory. Now, when you read that in, in 2 Corinthians, and I could go on for another half an hour based on my notes, but I won't. But when you read what Paul said there in, in that uh, 1 Corinthians 1, that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, Remember I said that that refers back to, to A.D. 54 prior to when he was writing that in 2 Corinthians. He's looking back on that. You might think, well, Paul learned that lesson. Did he not? I'm glad you brought me through this, Lord. And I'm glad I went through that. Glad I don't have to do that again. Did you know that Paul suffered after that? And did you notice, if you haven't already, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you don't just suffer once in life, but sometimes multiple times. This was not the only time that Paul suffered in which God was at work teaching him that I am all sufficient. Trust me. Rely upon me. Know me. If you go further on in 2 Corinthians, Paul, in making another point, refers again to his sufferings. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And look at the, the middle, uh, uh, or excuse me, beginning at verse 22. Are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. 
And he's, Paul is defending his apostleship here of those who were questioning his authority. But notice what he uses then as a, as a backdrop of, of part of his credentials that he has suffered for Christ's sake and for the gospel. And notice how he suffered. I have worked much harder, have been in prison more frequently, have been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in dangers from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, in danger from false brethren. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel it? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. And then he gives another example. In Damascus, the governor under King uh, Artisas uh, had the city uh, of Damascus guarded in order to, to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I say all that to say that, that these things happened to the Apostle Paul over his lifetime. And he ultimately said in Philippians chapter 4 these words, Philippians chapter 4, Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And here it is. I can do everything through Him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Do you know Him in that way? Not just as your Savior from sin, which Christ indeed is, the only Savior from sin, but as your all-sufficient Lord in the midst of your daily life and in the midst of the trials you face. I'm not going to take the time to read it, but go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, where Paul sets up what we looked at together this morning in detail, and it, it, it sheds a new light on it. He says, God is the God who comforts us in all of our afflictions that we in turn can comfort others who suffer in the same way with the same comfort God has given us. And did you ever think that sometimes even beyond your relationship with God and even beyond your knowing God in a deeper way through the sufferings that you experience that maybe one of the reasons God brings you through the fire is so that you in turn can also help another brother or sister through the fire who will go through the same. So that they will look to God as the all-sufficient 
all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll just close here. My prayer for myself, my prayer for you, may each of us who know and love Jesus learn to lean on Him in our suffering, to rejoice in Him in our joys, and to realize Him as our all-sufficient Lord and Savior in all things. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the instruction and encouragement and exhortation of your word this morning. Lord, we can't begin to imagine enduring the things that some of your saints have endured through the centuries. Even the example of Paul. And there were other passages, Lord, we could have looked at where he is highlighting the fact that he suffered for your sake. But Lord, in that we realize that Paul, a man of like passions, a man who is also human but redeemed by Christ, learned, learned to trust in God, learned to, to rely upon Jesus and to lean upon Him in all things. And he found in the end that you are sufficient, you are good, you are there, you are present, and you're our only really hope. Help us, Father, in like manner to follow in his footsteps, the one who penned the words, be imitators of me, even as I am of Jesus Christ. And may the result be, O God, that our lives truly will be an offering for your sake and for the glory and praise of your Son, Jesus whose name we pray. Amen.